This episode is brought to you by Spotify Greenroom. Download the Spotify Greenroom app and find one of our locked on rooms. You are locked on MLB. Your daily MLB podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, baseball fans. Welcome to Locked On MLB, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, where it's your team every day. This is the daily podcast. We talk about all of Major League Baseball. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. On today's episode, which is being dropped on Saturday, the 21st day of August, 2021, We are going to be talking about my, 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 the Cincinnati Reds and how they have done what I wanted them to do, which is to create the 38-game season. And we're also going to be taking a look at what could very well be a preview of the American League Championship Series. And if last night's game was any indication, that could be pretty cool. And let me just say, the Mets, well... They don't need any help losing games. So please, please, please keep those calls going their way if they're razor thin. That's all I'm saying. This show is available on the free and easy to use Odyssey app. We're also available wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have a smart device, please be sure to tell it to play podcast Locked On MLB. Or check out some of the other great shows on the Locked On Podcast Network, including Locked On Fantasy Baseball with Scott Cullen. And hey, Locked On Reds with the great Jeff Carr. He's a pretty happy man. You want to hear someone happy? Listen to him. If you want to hear someone unhappy, listen to Locked On Padres with Jave Reyes. So you can follow us on Twitter at Locked On MLB Pod. Same handle for Instagram. I'm your pal Sully. I'm at Sully Baseball on Twitter. Sully Baseball Podcast on Instagram. Let's get right to it, folks, shall we? The Cincinnati Reds yesterday beat the Miami Marlins. Now, the Marlins are not having a very good year. They should be having a better season than they are based upon the run differential and the fact that they're playing in, let's be kind and call it an inconsistent division. But Sonny Gray shut the Marlins down to no runs and one hit over seven innings pitch. You know, the Marlins are a team that has a few bats that can be pesky. They can become that little gnat in your ear going, but Sonny Gray shut them down. And the interesting thing about the Reds pitching staff is they have some pitchers who have been underachieving most of the year, like Luis Castillo, like Sonny Gray, who have not had the solid seasons that they were hoping for. And while that may have hurt them, In the first part of the season, all manager, uh, said Brian Price, manager David Bell has to do is say, hey, look, you're not going to have your best season this year. Give us, what is it? There's 38 games left to play, five starts every, you know, so it'll be seven starts. Give me seven good starts. Seven good starts, and the rest of the year will be completely redeemed. And Joey Votto homered. What a surprise. Joey Votto homered. He seems to homer at will. In the end, the game was 5-3 to three was the final. Uh, Votto homered. Tyler Naquin homered. I do a thing called Who Owns Baseball, where every day I look at who the best hitter and pitcher is in the American League and National League. I do a little tally, 
at the end of the year and I see who has the highest score. It's just a fun little thing for me to do. And I was looking at it and the third highest total of the National League hitters that I've done in Who Owns Baseball belongs to Tyler Naquin. Now, that shows that the stat is a little bit unreliable because a casual glance at Tyler Naquin's stats show that he is not having a bad season. He's not exactly having an astonishing season. He's having a good, solid season. But right now, his Who Owns Baseball tally trails only Fernando Tatis Jr. and Manny Machado. And while my stat is somewhat subjective and not the most reliable, it's basically me having fun during the regular season. It gives me a chance to write and look at each of the games that are played. The leaders of Who Owns Baseball are Fernando Tatis has the highest National League total. Vlad Guerrero Jr. has the highest American League hitter total. Zach Wheeler has the highest National League pitcher total. And Shea Otani and Garrett Cole are tied for the highest American League pitcher total. And those are all pretty accurate in terms of how the season is unfolding. So I guess what happens is Tyler Naquin doesn't always have the best stats, isn't going to be amongst the team leaders. Heck, even those of you who are all interested in war, well, is he in the, no, he's not even in the top 10 on his own team in wins above replacement. And yet he seems to get the big hit from time to time. I know I'm supposed to poo-poo the concept of clutch hitting or being an all-round situational hitter like that. But you know what? That seems to be the case with Tyler Naquin. And Votto is kind of sort of inserting himself into the MVP race. Right now, I think it's between Fernando Tatis Jr. and Max Muncy of Los Angeles. But the way that Votto has been playing down the stretch, let's go to baseballreference.com, the single greatest website in the history of the planet Earth, and check out his game, his uh, uh, splits, I'm sorry, his splits for the last uh, few weeks here as the, at the same time that the Reds have gone on this unbelievable tear and have tied the San Diego Padres. Well, in the second half, if you like batting average, and batting average is overrated. In the second half, he's batting 325. His OPS, however, is 1.210 over the last 33 games. That's not too shabby. In August, he has seven home runs, and his OPS is, again, over 1,000. And if you're taking a look at the last, uh, uh, the last few weeks, his OPS is over 1.1. I mean, he's just been uh, – Votto has been hitting everything – Now, the thing that I mentioned that Castillo and Gray have been disappointing, but if they have a good final five starts, that could go a long way. Now, they have had a couple of performers who have been kind of pitching well. Now, uh, Tyler Molly, that's how you pronounce his name, right? Tyler Molly. First couple of years I followed him in his career, I was saying Mal, and then I found out it was Molly. Either way, we're going to find out soon because he is pitching well. Now, the other person who I want to bring up, because the man who threw a no-hitter earlier this year, is kind of sort of inserting himself into the Cy Young race, and that's Wade Miley. Now, look at, as I've said, I don't discount war as a stat. I just don't lean on it 
as the end-all be-all. But when I see someone's leading the league in a stat, I can't help but glance over and say, hmm, that's interesting. Now, Walker Bueller's leading the league in earned run average and has the third highest war for pitchers in the National League. But when I looked over and I saw who has the highest war total in all the National League, hitters, pitchers, well, it's Max Muncy, who doesn't surprise me, but it's also Wade Miley, who is a point, uh, 0.1 higher than Zach Wheeler, who just a few weeks ago looked like the front runner to win the National League Cy Young Award. When you look at Wade Miley, Miley has an outstanding earned run average, 2.82, uh, 2.84, sorry, and he's shown 133 innings in his 22 starts, has the no-hitter, has a very good walk-to-strikeout ratio, and is the solid pitcher at the top of that rotation. And that takes a little more pressure off of Castillo and Sonny Gray because if Miley is pitching like a Cy Young contender, Miley is pitching like an all-star, and they have got some good performances out of Vladdy Gutierrez, and a few good performance out of Jeff Hoffman, you almost have to wonder, as the the bullpen of the Reds continues to be interesting, you know, I don't know who is really their closer. Uh, Michael Givens has pitched okay. Louis Sessa and Justin Wilson has been all right since coming over there. Friend of the podcast, Sean Doolittle, has been up and down this season. I almost wonder, And bear with me for one second. Are the Reds better off taking someone like uh, Tony Santillan, who is a spot starter, putting him in the rotation and maybe dropping a Castillo or a Jeff Hoffman into the bullpen to be the closer? Because you know you're going to have Three good starting pitchers in in Miley, Molly, Miley, and Molly, Molly, and Molly. Boy, that maybe that's why I was mispronouncing it. And Gray. And if you ask the other two to hang those other the other parts of the rotation, just for the final month and a half of the season, less than a month and a half, to say, hey, can you close out the games? I of that group, I would probably say Jeff Hoffman because he has more bullpen experience and uh Gutierrez Gray. Miley and Molly and Castillo have only started this year. But once again, this is not like a permanent demotion. This is just saying, hey, we need someone more reliable to close out the games. I think they have to think a little bit outside the box, but at the same time, whatever they're doing in a way is working. Because here we are, it is late August, and the Cincinnati Reds are not only in a postseason spot right now, but they're doing so with a lineup that's firing on all cylinders and a pretty good starting rotation. And they're going to be playing tomato cans. And all they have to do is play one game better than San Diego over these final 38 games, and they will be in the wild card game. And you can say over 38 games, what are we going to do about the back end of the rotation of back end of the bullpen? I'm sorry. And at that point you have to say, okay, who's willing 
to play this role just for this period of time, because it could be the difference between October or not. And then I got to say, if you go play, let's say it's going to be Los Angeles. And right now it looks like it's going to be Los Angeles unless they can catch the San Francisco Giants. We're going to talk a little bit about the Dodgers-Mets game towards the end of this podcast. And right now, only a game and a half separate the Dodgers and the Giants. If it's the Dodgers and you play a one-game playoff and you start a Wade Miley and have a hot lineup and a Cy Young contender, then that game's an absolute coin toss. The Cincinnati Reds have a pathway to the division series. So that's what I would preach to one of these veteran pitchers to say, hey, look it, this is where we need you. And this could get us further along in the season. And you do that, and maybe, just maybe, the Reds can be a surefire bet to get to the postseason. And if you're going to be making bets, go to Bet Online. It's that time of the year again. All eyes are now turning to football as teams are back on the gridiron to start the football season. As always, Bet Online is your number one spot for all the pro and college football action this season. Get all the updated odds, props, and contests, including online's biggest half million dollar NFL mega contest and the world's largest $200,000 NFL survivor contest. Open now at Bet Online. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today to receive your 100% welcome bonus. Be sure to take advantage of their opening day super promo. Make a bet on Thursday, the September 9th season opener between the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who happened to win the Super Bowl last year. Did you know that? I also kind of forgot that. And the Dallas Cowboys, who haven't won a Super Bowl in a long time. And if you lose, your wager will be refunded up to $25 for new customers only when signing up and using promo code NFL100. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports. Football, baseball, basketball, boxing, right down to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait and take advantage of all the great offers available for the 2021 season. Bet Online is your online sportsbook expert. All right, the White Sox and the Rays played a really, really fun game last night. And one where there was a lot of lead changes, one where there was some terrific pitching. In fact, Lucas Giolito of the White Sox was terrific. He pitched seven innings. He struck out eight Tampa Bay Rays. He only let up three hits and two runs. But the White Sox bullpen got in trouble. And there was a made a dumb error in the middle infield where a throw went wild at second base that prolonged the inning. The Rays kept storming back and storming back. They wound up taking the lead. But then Tim Anderson, Tim Anderson, God, he is just terrific. Tim Anderson hit a game-tying home run in the ninth inning and then was a key part to the rally that the White Sox had in the 11th inning when they scored a pair of runs. One was a ghost runner, but one was you know a legitimate run. That's what I'm considering those. And that was Anderson himself uh, scored that run on a ground out 
by uh, Jose Abreu. And yeah, it was a it was a wild game. It was a really wild game. Now, it was a typical Tampa Bay game where they used an absolute a revolving door of pitchers. They got nine strikeouts by Michael Walker, by the way. Nine strikeouts and no walks in five innings and only two earned runs, but he let up two unearned runs. They let up eight hits, including a home run. And the uh, the White Sox turned the ball over to Kimbrell in the eighth inning, but he did let up a walk, but the defense for the, as I mentioned, the White Sox wound up betraying them there. And the Marlins, uh, not the Marlins, the Rays, wound up turning the ball over in the ninth inning to J.T. Chagua. And J.T. Chagua was making his sixth appearance of the season. Now, Chagua was one of the pitchers who the Rays had acquired in the Diego Castillo trade with the Mariners right after the Mariners dumped, uh, made the the, the weird trade um uh, sending Kendall Graveman away. Now, Diego Castillo has been less than terrific in his time with the Seattle Mariners. He's blown a couple of games. He's lost a couple of games, or he's lost one game. He's blown a couple of saves. His ERA isn't horrible, but it's not what you want, with uh, hovering around four at 3.86. And by recalling J.T. Chagua and putting him into the closer position, it was almost like the Rays were thumbing their nose at the Seattle Mariners, saying, ha ha, we sold high on Diego and managed to steal another closer, but it didn't work. He let up the home run to Anderson. And the final score was 7-5. to Now, with such a weird revolving door, in the positions at the bottom of the American League postseason right now. The Yankees are hanging on. They're still you know, after they're absolutely clobbered the twins. They always clobber the twins. But they're a game ahead of the A's, who beat the Giants, and a half a game ahead of the Red Sox, who put Chris Sale up against the Rangers as they're building Chris Sale. And remember, the A's are only uh, two and a half games behind the Houston Astros. The Yankees are only a game and a half behind the Astros. There's a whole combination of the American League division and the wild card that may include any of those teams I just mentioned not making the postseason altogether. Now, the Toronto Blue Jays pick the absolute worst time of the year to go on a nosedive they've lost their last three games and seven of their last 10 they would be right in the middle of this conversation but what i'm saying is tampa bay and chicago are practically the only two locks to make it to the postseason from the american league tampa bay has a four-game lead over the yankees yes that's attainable but as those weeks are chipping away it's becoming harder and harder to do that to make up four games and head to head Tampa Bay seems to always have the Yankees number. Meanwhile, the white Sox have an 11 and a half game lead over the Indians. That division lead is all but secure. And with that in mind, this could very well be an American league championship preview. 
If it is, I have no problem with it. None. I'm not taking sides on it. I think both would be great stories. The Rays having a chance, despite all the odds put against them, to make it to -to back-to-back World Series. And this time, have a chance to do it in front of their fans. Because last year, remember, they're doing it in front of cardboard cutouts. And even when they won the pennant itself, I think they did that in San Diego. Remember that, that they played some of the games in San Diego, some of the games in Dodger Stadium, some of the games at uh, the World Series games were played in Arlington. If I'm not mistaken, the ALCS was played between Houston and Tampa in San Diego, but I don't 100% remember. You have to forgive me on that. So not only were fans not even there, they're on the other side of the country. And to have a chance to win a pennant in front of their fans, and I've said it before and I'll say it again, the Rays fans who show up and follow their team are amongst the most loyal in all of baseball. I didn't say they're the largest number. I said they're amongst the most loyal because they've stood by their team and they've remained big fans despite being told by the media and other fan bases that they don't even exist. I would love, part of me would love to see the Rays get back to the World Series just to be a middle finger to all the people who poo-poo their success based solely upon the fan base. Deal with it. The Rays fans deserve to have a World Series played in their home. Los Angeles has had a bunch of World Series played in their homes recently, or two, 17 and 18. But Tampa deserves to have one, to have that moment, to have that pageantry. Say, yeah, the World Series is playing, as opposed to the World Series is playing. Where? Eh, Texas. Where are they coming here? They're not. So part of me would love to see the Rays do that. But part of me would also love to see the White Sox do it. Now, I'm not a Tony La Russa fan. I've made that very, very clear over the podcast. It would be neat to see a manager win a pennant in five different decades. He won a pennant with the 88 and 89 A's, the 90 A's, the 2004 and 2006 Cardinals, and the 2011 Cardinals. That's four different decades. This is another decade, five. And he would be the first team or the first player, if the White Sox win the World Series, to lead three different franchises to a World Series title. Again, not a big Tony La Russa fan. I wish I could be saying this about a manager other than Tony La Russa, but sometimes you got to tip your proverbial cap. But I also love a lot of the players on the White Sox. I love players on the White Sox in spite of Tony La Russa. Tim Anderson, as exciting and fun a player as you're going to watch in all in baseball. Uh, Jose Abreu, love watching play. I love those big old-fashioned right-handed sluggers. I love Loya Men. I love that they've pulled off some wild trades where they could get some of the prospects from other teams, like Eloy Jimenez from the Cubs, like Yohan Mancata from the Red Sox. And if the White Sox win with Yohan Mancata at third base, then we can look at that Chris Sale trade as a winner for both because the Red Sox got a World Series title out of the Chris Sale deal. In fact, Chris Sale was on the mound when they won the World Series in 2018. But if the White Sox could get an all-star third baseman to be a big part in winning a World Series title, that would mean something, too. He homered yesterday against Michael Waka. That was home run number 11, and he is improving his numbers. He got on base twice yesterday, and it's contributing big time. And you know what? It's a fun team to watch. And this would be great 
if this was the American League Championship Series. And yeah, Fox, you better get off your butt and figure out how to to freaking promote this. It's not Red Sox, Yankees. What do we do? How do we do it? There you go. You have two super exciting teams with tons of great storylines. One of them happens to play in a gigantic media market. One of them is, let's say it with me, one of the great sports stories of all time of a team having all the cards against them in Tampa Bay, having a chance to go to back-to-back World Series. There you go. I gave you a head start. All right? So put down your Jamba Juice and get to work. Why do I have to do all the work around here? So, yeah, Tropicana Field could be where we're seeing the American League Championship Series. It is a big win for the White Sox, actually, at least somewhat psychologically. And let me tell you why. Because the White Sox do have one uh, proverbial monkey that they have on their back right now. When they play Baltimore, well, they've won all seven games against them. When they play the, the Tigers, they clobber them. Between those two teams, they are... 16 and four in the 20 games played between the Tigers and the Orioles. If they play a team like the Minnesota Twins, who have been super disappointing this year, they'll win 13 out of 19 games against them. But they'll lose six out of uh, five out of six to the Yankees. They'll lose a bunch of games to teams like the Red Sox. They'll lose against the good teams. And that's been a bit of a stigma about this. Uh, and they'll lose a bunch of games to the, uh, the Houston Astros. There's been a bit of a stigma to this White Sox team. They beat up the bad teams. But when they get to a good team, well, that's when they lose. And that would be a really, really bad situation because whatever team they wind up playing in the division series is going to be a good team. They're probably not going to play Tampa. They're probably going to play the winner of the West, but who knows? Maybe the winner of the West will surpass Tampa. The winner of the West is going to be either Oakland or Houston. Their record against Houston is uh, two and five. Now the record against Oakland is three and one. So I guess it kind of splits both ways there. But winning this game last night in the dramatic fashion that it was, was a good sign for the Chicago White Sox that they could win a game against a big-time pennant contender. These are exciting teams that could give us some thrills in October. And the casual baseball fan should be excited about matchups like this. They really should be. And it's up to baseball and to a lesser degree Fox and ESPN and the, the stations that cover the team to promote this and get people excited about it. You know, other sports can get teams excited about matchups that have nothing to do with the major media markets. Why can't baseball do that? Why is a White Sox Rays matchup not a coveted one amongst casual baseball fans to see really exciting baseball? It should be. There's no excuse why it shouldn't be. But here we are. And one of those teams, I think, has an excellent chance of getting to the World Series. And what about the other team? What do they get? Well, they deserve some sort of consolation. Maybe a Built Bar. Do you know that Built Bar has so many delicious flavors, there's something for everybody. When you talk to a Built Bar fan, like Stacy Gatsoulias just can't stop talking 
about Built Bars. We get on our private discussions amongst the other Locked On hosts. Stacy Gatsoulias, the fantastic host of Locked On Yankees, loves her Built Bars. And by the way, watch her YouTube shows. They're, she's really terrific. I digress back to the Built Bar copy. There's something for everybody. If you don't know the Built Bar flavors, roll call. Coconut, here, Jerry Garcia. Mint brownie, double chocolate, salted caramel, strawberry, orange, cookies and cream, German chocolate. What about Sully's favorite? Mine is raspberry. If you haven't tried all the flavors, get a mix box. That's where you get two of each of the nine flavors. But not only are Built Bar flavors the best tasting, they're healthy too. You can get 17, 18 grams of protein, calories range from 130 to 180, 4 grams of sugar, 5 grams of sugar in that range, 4 or 5 grams of net carbs. Amazing flavors, all tasty, all healthy. Or today, get the grasshopper cookie. Or my raspberry, whatever you want. Built Bar is the official protein bar of the U.S. track and field team, and it clearly worked. Go to built.com. Use promo code LOCK15. You get 15% off your order. Use promo code LOCK15 for 15% off at builtbar.com. Oh, Mets. Mets, 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 Mets. For so long, they were in first place by themselves. The rest of the division sub 500. Oh, Mets. I'm sounding like Felix Unger, Oscar, 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 and Oscar Mazzle was a Mets fan. I didn't even mean to make that connection. The Mets swept the Washington Nationals and had a sense of, I don't know, maybe a boost of confidence as they went on what we knew was going to be a little bit of a rough patch especially after they were swept by the Philadelphia Phillies and fell out of first place. They swept the Nats, pulled back to within half a game of first place with images of the division title dancing in their head and knowing they had a gauntlet against the Dodgers and the Giants. They played eight games. They lost seven of them. The one game they won, they were one swing away from losing. It was an extra inning game. And some of the games have been close. Two one-run games in extra innings against the Dodgers. Last night was a one-run game against the Dodgers. They lost a one-run game against the Giants. Two-run game against the Giants. There have really only been, there was really only one blowout, which was the Sunday game where they lost 14-4. to Max Scherzer beat Carlos Carrasco. But Carlos Carrasco pitched well yesterday. Now, he pitched well. I mean, like, for what they what they wanted to get out of Carrasco, they got five innings out of him, got six strikeouts, one walk. You know, you're not going to get much better for a guy who did it all play, has been going through all sorts of health issues. But they ran into a buzzsaw. That was Walker Bueller, pitched in the eighth. Pitched in the eighth inning and didn't really get into trouble until the eighth. He let up a home run to Pete Alonso, which I have no idea how that was a home run. No, no clue how that it cleared the wall. It looked like a check swing. In fact, if you see the replay of Pete Alonso's swing, he didn't fall through all the way. It just sort of carried. And it was a heavy night here in Los Angeles. The air was heavy. But boom, that was a home run. It was two to one. And they just, it was another one, two, three inning. Uh, uh, one, two, three inning in the fifth. One, two, three inning in the sixth. One, two, three inning in the seventh. Finally, in the eighth, they were able to rally. And... Walker Bueller let up a single, another single through a wild pitch. It was a infield hit by Pete Alonzo, but there was a called third on Jeff McNeil. 
and a called third on J.D. Davis. Uh, with, on Jeff McNeil, the tying it was uh, the tying run was on second base, and he was called out. J.D. Davis had the bases loaded. A base hit would have given the Mets the lead, and he was called out. The J.D. Davis one was probably a strike. The McNeil one was not. That was way inside. That was way inside. And yes, 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 I know. I know that the entire game doesn't hinge on that. But in an odd way, it kind of did. In an odd way, when you take a game where it's, at that point, it was a full count, and that would have walked home a run, the trajectory of the game, of it being a one-run game with one out and Pete Alonso coming up, is much different than being a two-run game with two outs. It's a different animal. And the the outcome of the game, every outcome of a game is the sum total of all the events that happen. If you change one event, it changes the trajectory of the game, especially at that point. That was a huge moment. And let me tell you something. The Mets don't need anything going against them. They're doing enough. They're doing enough on their own to shoot themselves in the foot. No need to call those inside pitches. I am 100% for, and I've made no bones, I've been saying this since 2011. I have no bones about having the team say, do we agree that that little strikeout box on the screen is the strike zone? Can we agree on that? And therefore, if a ball hits the strike zone, we see it, it could be instantaneous. You hire another umpire. If the umpire is worried about the union, hire another guy. Another guy who's now in the umpire union who yells, strike, ball, from the booth. When it hits there, and you see it instantaneously. Boom, strike. Boom, ball. And it's called. And there's no arguing because it's in the strike zone that everyone agreed exists. McNeil doesn't argue. No one's yapping from there. No one says, well, he doesn't call the high strike. Oh, that was a strike for him and not a strike for them. Eliminate that. Put the strike zone in. All right? That's what I want to see. But alas, that's not what came to be. And Bueller, who is having a Cy Young caliber season, and he has inserted himself in the conversation along with Zach Wheeler and along with Wade Miley. So essentially, as we go through these final 38 games of the season, who's going to pitch? Of those three pitchers, because it's not going to be DeGrom. He ain't coming back. Nor should they, because the Mets are now a sub-500 team in late August, and they're dealing with teams like the Atlanta Braves. And the Atlanta Braves got a complete game from Max Freed. You got a complete game shutout. And the Braves, who just a few weeks ago were a sub-500 team, are now 10 games above 500 and have a four-game lead on the Phillies, who, remember, were in first place, what, three minutes ago? And the Phillies wound up winning a game against San Diego, we mentioned that in the early part, that they desperately need to do. Yeah, I'm sorry, the Mets are not making up six games. This Mets team is not going to make up six games against a Braves team that is firing on all cylinders. So maybe a sit DeGrom down the rest of the way. They had too many things going against them. I'm going to say something, I don't say this lightly, because I think he did a wonderful job the first half of the season. Luis Rojas is gone. This is not Luis Rojas's fault, the manager of the Mets, but he was not the guy that the Mets 
new ownership wanted. He was grandfathered in. He was the replacement for Carlos Beltran when Beltran became one of the few people punished for what happened with the Astros. He was never their guy. And if we've seen people fired from a managerial position, hell, Rick Renteria just last year led the White Sox to the postseason for the first time in over a decade. Bye! New ownership is inevitably going to want to have their person there. Now, I don't say fire Luis Rojas now, because I would just send everything into a bigger tailspin. But I, I think with this collapse that the Mets have, they can't come back without having at least some figurehead of this year is going to be different. And I'm sure management is going to say, okay, we gave Luis a full season. He managed the Mets for two years. There you go. He's part of a great baseball family. He will be gobbled up to be on someone's coaching staff in three, two, one, probably would be a good managerial candidate. I do think it's always smart if you're putting together a, a manager, a list of managers to hire to either get someone who's had success as a minor league manager or have someone who failed somewhere else, had someone who stubbed their toe elsewhere. And to have them come in where they kind of have a sense of, oh, I know how to do it, but I also have some ideas of what not to do. I think Luis Rojas would be a fantastic manager for a team that may be putting a new team together, want to start some new blood. He comes from the great Alou family, family tree of baseball minds. But I also think that there has to be a change in New York, and I don't think it's going to be Luis Rojas's team. Now, if you look up and say he's managing elsewhere, Fine, I get it. Probably be a good call. Probably be a very good call. But they're going to have to make a change. It's not his fault. But the fact of the matter is, sometimes fault has nothing to do with it. We've got a full slate of games. And I promised I'd do this Saturday show because I missed a show this week. Just some work stuff going on. My work schedule is, is I, I do more than this for my job. I hate to spoil the illusion. Uh, we are going to be launching a podcast on Sunday as well. We're going to get five done a week, whether they're being done over the weekend or not. But you can follow us at the free and easy to use Odyssey app, or you can follow us wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're following us on Twitter, please follow us at Lockdown MLB Pods. Same handle for Instagram. Talking about the tightening National League wild card race and what could be a great ALCS and the Mets, 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 Oscar, Oscar, Oscar. This has been Locked on MLB for the 21st day of August 2021. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. Betting on baseball doesn't have to be a guessing game. If you listen to the new Locked on Bets podcast hosted by your boy Q and handicapping expert Lee Sterling, the daily picks, blowout specials, wrong team favorite picks, and Lee Sterling's lock of the day. Follow Lockdown Bets podcast brought to you by betonline.ag wherever you get podcasts.